0: buddies fellow franco fans it is i your host jason rudy from desperate visions productions and uh, right now we're in the middle of uh editing lady hyde and emmanuel in sin city um kind of going really slow right now uh kind of got a little bit burnt out on editing was doing it by myself strictly and um got to the point where i got a rough cut down and kind of working on sound and uh i don't know um Doing ADR is uh, kind of boring, so but I'm sure fellow editors know my plight. So, anyways, yeah, that's where I am on that front. So, I don't know. Uh, they'll come out 2022, but uh, I need a uh, another person to help me or another second wind or something to um, start the uh, sailboat back up again. So, alrighty. Well, that's what's going on on my front. But uh, on this front, we are on uh, episode 78. Film number 13 from Jess Franco. 13, my favorite number. And this is called Golden Horn. And um, the DVD I have is uh, Residence for Spies, but the official title is Golden Horn. And it's out of Spain, 1966. And the original theatrical title in Country of Origin is uh, Residencia para Espías, also known as Boarding, School for Spies. Alternative title Golden Horn, the English language theatrical export. Uh, also, French theatrical is uh, That Poet Among the Cuties. That's weird. That Poet Among the Cuties. Huh. Uh, Cabrande Che la Mignones. Um, Les Mignones, Italian theatrical, The Cuties. Uh, Eddie Asfolari Orient Banden, Denmark theatrical. Eddie exposes the Orient Gang. Uh, it's almost like the last film, actually, uh, Attack of the Robots. Hitfeder uh, Istanbul is the Turkish theatrical title. Uh, Target Istanbul, and finally the alternative French theatrical title and Turkish listings: Golden Horn, La Corne de Or. Uh, production company on this is uh, Hesperia Films. I think this is the last one he does for them. Uh, S A Madrid uh, and theatrical distributors is Mercurio Films S A out of Madrid as well. A timeline for this: um, this is a film where he has some problems coming through, so which is kind of something that starts going through his career from here onward in different ways and forms, as we'll we'll soon find out. Okay, shooting date June. August of 1966, um, so three months there, and you'll see what happens. Uh, classified for Spanish release, January 9th of 1968, so yeah, looking at uh, almost two full years after, uh, actually, no, I'm sorry, about, uh, about a year and eight months, uh, Madrid, Madrid premiere, January 22nd of 68. Uh, French visa issued and played in France of March 21st, 1968. Then played Seville April 19th of 1968. Uh, Turkey played April 22nd, 1968. Finally, Barcelona May 20th of 1968. Uh, Theatrical running time on this film, 89 minutes from Spain. And the cut from France is two minutes shorter, running in at 87 minutes. Uh, cast on this film, once again, the second and final film he does with Mr. Jess Franco is uh, Mr. Eddie Constantine. On this time, plays uh, Dan Layton. And we have uh, Diana Lorys returning as uh, Janet Spokane and Anita Hofer as Marion. Uh, Marie Paz-Pondel plays Elsa uh, Otto Stern, Colonel Freddie Spokane, and let's see, Diana Loy again as Yasmina, and let's see who else do we have um, of that we want to use Howard Vernon, of course, Mr. Raddick, Leighton's Lisbon contract contact, Patty Shepard, student, spotted bikini, uh, Lemmy Constantine, messenger boy, just Franco, pianist at casino. And there we go. Cool. Credits. Director Jess Franco. Screenplay Jess Franco. Based on the novel Don Leighton, Sheila By Charles X. Briant. As Michael Logan. Or Michael Logan. Uh, director of photography, Antonio Macasoli uh, Editor, Magdalena Polido. And let's see. Um, Who does music on this? Music, Odon Alonso. Based on Turkish folk themes. Interesting. So it might be different than the usual jazz uh, ensemble he likes to use. Uh, camera operator, Ricardo Adoro. And let's see, what else do we have? They want to neat. Okay, looks good. All right, so... Um, I'm going to go on the production notes on this. Uh, Franco's father, Emilio Franco Martin, died on the April 3rd of 1966. Which would be just before the production, because it started in June of '66, uh, and his mother Dolores Maneras Costadoya Castardoy, followed just five months later on September 27th, which would be just after the production wrapped, because the production wrapped in August. So yeah, he had his uh, father died two months before the film, and his mom died a month after the film wrapped. That's pretty heavy. Uh, these two blows on either set on either side of a difficult shoot, reuniting Franco with Eddie Constantine for a second spy romp, *Residencia para Espales*, aka *Golden Horn*. And before we go any further, of course, uh, always getting information from *Murderous Passions*, uh, Volume One by Stephen Thrower. All right, back to the text. Um, production got underway in Madrid in June 1966, before heading off to Alicante for location work on July 22nd and Istanbul for further shooting in early August. However, Residencia para SPS was a troubled production. Early on, arrangements between Serge Silberman's French production company Ciné Alliance, Alliance Films and the Spanish Hesperia Films broke down, with Silberman dropping out during the crisis franco struck up a friendship with karl heinz munchkin much i always pronounce his name wrong manchin a german-born producer he met in the offices of Hesperia. manchin had lived in madrid since the mid-1940s working as a production manager and was an experienced production partner in spanish-german co-productions Franco asked him to try and secure German co-financing for Residencia para SPS. Taking a punt on the outcome of their conversation, Franco began shooting in Istanbul before the German money was confirmed. Unfortunately, Manchin was unable to secure any. When Spanish funds ran out, star of the producer Eddie Constantine provided completion money. The film did eventually see release in France, as could be expected with such a popular actor in the lead, but the financial debacle finished off Franco's association with Hesperia Films and Eddie Constantine. All right, so a review. I'll just kind of go through some of this uh, from Stephen Thor. It's actually not a lot. Um, So his idea on it. Another day, another spy movie. Golden Horn, also known as Residencia per SBS, is a curiously lukewarm experience. It feels detached, blunted, and though reported to us by a third party. For a secret agent yarn, it's too talky. For an action-adventure, it's too slow. For a thriller, it's too disjointed and lacking intention. And for a frothy spy comedy, it's too morose and half-hearted. The humor comes and goes, or peters out for long stretches, as if Franco is unsure how to pitch the film. Should we take the spy thrill element at face value, or are we meant to keep one eye on the genre's cliches and half a smile on our faces? Golden Horn seems to have suffered a crisis of confidence in its tone and general approach, something that may be linked to its unsettled production background and perhaps to Franco's personal difficulties at the time. Eddie Constantine plays a CIA agent sent to Istanbul to sniff out a mole who's been passing American military secrets to the enemy. Along the way, he gets into a customary fistfights, searches for clues along a trail of dead bodies, and fends off the amorous wife of a key contact. Yet despite excellent location, work, in Istanbul, it all seems rather lackluster. Golden Horn desperately needs a stronger narrative to anchor its wandering tone with constantine hardly the most expressive of actors mooching half-heartedly through the lead role there's little to grab onto the humor revolves chiefly around the central conceit that this rather plain middle-aged man is catnip for the various bathing beauties and beehived vixens who fill out the female cast With so many women around, the focus of attention veers naturally toward the feminine, but one of the most frustrating things about Golden Horn is the lack of development in the female roles. The girls just keep on coming, so to speak, and they're mostly window dressing, and they frequently trail away into the background after an attention-grabbing introduction. The exceptions are Anita Hofer as Marion, Leighton's lover and female confidant, who plays a jealous shrew in waiting, uh, and Diana Loris as Colonel Spokane's sultry, man-hungry wife, who grabs the attention with a simmering sexuality and cheekbones that could slice paper. The beautiful Patty Shepard pops up in a polka-dot bikini for a brief hello. Vivacious Marie Paz Pondal is likewise denied much impact despite a major plot point hanging around her involvement, and sundry other girls fill in and out of the story without touching the sides. Like a lot of Franco's 1960s films, there are more characters on the screen than the script knows what to do with. It's actually the older women who stand out most, especially Lola Gaos, an extraordinary-looking character actress who brings a bony, bird-like intensity to the role of the sinister housekeeper. Uh, okay. Um, the triple production of the film is evident from various editing quirks and non-sequiturs. For instance, a scene in which Eddie Constantine and Chris Huerta drive to a dockside for a secret rendezvous only to find the place staked out by Bulgarian soldiers who open fire in their car is conducted without the lead actors appearing in a single shot with the extras. The encounter was evidently patched together in the editing room to make up for lack of suitable footage. An earlier scene, Leighton receives a letter from his superiors telling him to meet a man called Raddock Howard Vernon at the Santa Justa Elevator in Lisbon. By the time he arrives there, Raddick had been beaten and mortally injured. Before he dies he whispered the words Istanbul, Hotel Hilton, Spokane, leading Leighton to Turkey and the rest of the plot. This scene, the only one shot in Lisbon, is the only one featuring Vernon, it seems shoehorned in. Sure enough, when Leighton arrives in Istanbul, he meets Spokane, no mention is made of either Radic or the nature of their encounter. It seems the Vernon scene was spliced in later, perhaps to pump in some much-needed action or to expand the running time. One suspects that in the original cut, the letter received by Leighton, unreadable on screen, simply told him to meet Spokane in Istanbul. Alright, thematically, Golden Horn is as flimsy and two-dimensional as it's narratively slow and complicated. Uh, Leighton is acting on behalf of the CIA, who are concerned the secrets are being leaked to someone, although the film deliberately avoids naming a country. The delegate who speaks against the Americans in the prologue at the UN does so in a Slavic tongue, perhaps Bulgarian, giving later revelations. In the plot, the secrets being leaked involve intelligence about American military incursions into Soviet territory, which they vehemently delight at the U.N. but admit in private. Uh, Don't go looking for a tongue-in-cheek satire of Cold War foreign policy, though, because despite the prologue setting up the idea, it never really goes anywhere. The same is true for the Residencia setting First, there seems to be a structuring tension between the free-spirited young lovelies who fill the place and the repressive old women who run it. Both Lola Gasos and Tota Alba have scenes in which they berate the younger women for their lasciviousness, but they repeatedly catch Leighton eyeing up the girls or maneuvering them into clichés, all of which could have signaled that the film had more in its mind than a few secret agent clichés. If the espionage story had been a front with the film delving into generational tensions and women's restricted sexual freedoms in Spain in the 1960s, it might have gained more traction. As it is, the repressed and repressive commissions Pendleton evidentially softens the convenient purposes of making Layton seem more heroic. Uh, and the depiction of Layton himself is hardly progressive. He dallies with young women left and right and center. He's caught smooching with the semi-clad lovely by his... Better have to be, yet he still adopts a staunchy, moralistic attitude with Spokane's wife indicates she's looking for extramarital thrills, actually slapping her when she makes an advance. Maybe this is what audience expected from the man who played the tough guy, let me caution, but it's less than endearing in a film already suffering from its deficient of likability. Alright, finishing up here. Uh, Caught in the right mood one day, it's possible that Golden Horde would make a diverting afternoon TV farce. There's a reasonably inventive payoff regarding coded messages readable only by x-rays with the x-ray machine also doubling as a murder weapon and an exciting punch-up in an abandoned pool room used as a chicken coop, although I do worry about the poor chickens caught in the melee. Uh, it's not good to see. I have chickens, and I love chickens. Uh, the glamour and the ga- uh, glamour of the gals is undeniable, and I suppose that's really where the film lives. Just don't expect any nudity; it's strictly swimwear and evening dress. So yeah, no nudity in this film. Uh, in other sense, Golden Horn is as inconsequential as it is inoffensive. Okay, Franco on screen. Franco can be spotted playing the piano at the casino where Leighton seeks Janet Spokane. Losing money. Uh, cast and crew. Tota Alba, the stern and severe commander, Pendleton, had previously acted alongside Jess Franco in El Extrano Vivaji by uh, Fernando Gomez, in which they play a brother and sister. The same year as Golden Horn, she lent her striking features to Santos Alicore's El Enigma de la Taid, released in France's the orgies of Dr. Orloff, thanks to the presence of Howard Vernon although the film has zero connection to the franco Orloffs, Alba's other screen appearances include playing a devil-worshipping child-stealing witch in the Osrios The Possessed, 1975, a noblewoman in Strange Love of the Vampires, 1976, and another witch in Paul Natchee's Inquisition, 1976. Lola Gayos here playing the wife of Marcello, Hagaragji, worked twice for Bunel in Verdana and Tristana, 61 and 70, appeared alongside Soldad Miranda in a trashy horror flick about an invisible dinosaur called El Sinandio de la Morete, and found herself menaced by an open razor in My Dear Killer, 73, and played a purveyor of Love Potion in uh, Female Butcher, 75. <clears throat> she would work again for Franco once again, Appearing as an elderly witch in the fantasy film El Lago, the uh, Lake of the Virgins, 1981. Uh, music. Argentinian-born Adolfo Waltzman provides a gorgeous Arabic-inflected influenced inflected score, which adds some much-needed luster to the production. He would go on to work with Franco again on El Otro Lado de Espero, The other Side of the Mirror, awesome, in seventy-three, Among his other credits are the amusing Paul Nashie film the, Dr. Jekyll vs. the Werewolf, the superlative horror film Bell from Hell, 73, and uh, underrated rural horror film *Pinchon Porerea*. never heard of that, 1977. He is also celebrated among record collectors for his break beats, which have been sampled by many a hip hop producer. Alright, this was filmed at uh, Estudio CEA and Cuadalinad, Madrid. Locations uh, Istanbul and Halik, Turkey. Anthropole uh, in Bulgaria, the Santa Justa Elevator, Lisbon, Portugal, uh, Madrid and Alicante, Spain, and at Estudios CEA, Coitad Lutel, Madrid, Spain. The title Golden Horn refers to the Simbicur shaped peninsula called Altun Buenos in Turkish at the inlet of the Pusovres, Bo- Bosphorus, the tip of which is Old Istanbul. Uh, connections. Dan Layton was a recurring hero in a series of books by Michael Logan, actually a pseudonym for a collaborative series of pulp novels written, written by Charles Experant, filmed by Franco as Rafifi and Jacques Duboisy. The specific Logan book Franco appears to have drawn upon for residents of spies is Leighton and, the Chevaliers, Layton and the Ladies of the Manor. Note that uh, Charlatanese is a female plural of Charlatan, the French equivalent of the English Castilian, i.e., the commander of a castle. It was published in 64 as part of a well known Lemesque import. Captain Hunter goes by the nickname Rock Hunter, as seen in the cited photograph dedicated to his friend Jamie Smith. Uh, after breaking into an impromptu ragtime blues in the church organ, Leighton claims to be the cousin of Louis Armstrong. The fact that the traitors turn out to include a radiologist whose medical expertise is crucial to the plot suggests that the death of Franco's radi- radiologist father three months earlier was still very much in his mind. That's cool. Uh, other versions, a currently elusive French version, Caprier chez Les Mignonnes, released in 1968, is said to, by some, to include additional footage with Michel Lemon, supposedly filmed in 1967 on the set of Succubus. However, Alan Petit, in the Manicoa file, states categorically that this was not the case. Howard Vernon's scene was certainly added during the Succubus shoot, although his brief appearances can be found on the Spanish-language video release. The current absence of an English-language version is regrettable, although one was certainly produced. Turkish advertising for the film's the 1968 release in Istanbul refers to the film being in color English widescreen, so it appears a print was indeed struck. Was the sepia-toned prologue seen in the Spanish video and DVD release a part of the original theatrical release? Note the calendar on the wall behind Rafael Vaquero, who plays Charlie, the American UN delegate, reads Friday, May 2nd. In 1966, the year the film was shot, the 2nd of May, felt on a Monday. The closest year in which the 2nd of May fell on a Friday was 1969, was this perhaps the prologue was added. Hmm. Uh, let's see, okay, cool, so, that's about it on the, uh, text for that film, Golden Horn, so, alright, well, I've yet to watch it, it's sitting here next to me, uh, like I said, I have a copy, that's the Spanish one, Residence for Spies is the cover of it, and, uh, it says it's the, um, Spanish version at 86 minutes, I guess, or something, so, yeah, sixty six Hesperia films. So, so yeah, I'll be watching that uh, and giving you the solo review on that and uh, tell you what I think about it. So, and, uh, and then I'll ask you, what do you think about that? So, all right. Well, uh, if what do you think about the Franco podcast? If you like it, please download all the episodes you like. Download each week uh, and subscribe. Because if you subscribe, it's uh, downloaded to you and uh, it's there waiting for you when you wake up and ready to listen to every Wednesday morning. Uh, that's always my commitment: is to stay on the path and to deliver, stay on this, and watch one Franco film a week or more, and uh, you know have that as a once-a-week deal. So, getting there already on uh, what is the seventy-eight. So yeah, about maybe halfway there, living on a prayer. So yeah, all right. So uh, yeah, download and subscribe. And uh, there's also a donation button if you like donating something or buying one of my uh, Franco prints on Redbubble. That would help me. Uh, we got a lot of got about six or seven uh, Lena and just Franco designs on there that I drew personally and painted uh, that are on T-shirts and mugs and posters and all that stuff. So yeah, check it out. Uh, Redbubble. Um, uh, Desperate Visions, Jason Rudy and you'll see my Franco stuff up there or look up Lena, Jess Franco, whatever. You'll see him up there. Or uh, get a hold of me at uh, FrancoObserver at com, or the Facebook or Instagram pages for Franco Observer and I'll give you the link and point you in that direction if needed. Uh, please tell a friend and share the podcasts. Uh, saw a nice bump in January. That helped. I think we got a couple new listeners who downloaded the Uh, back catalog so that's much appreciated saw the numbers go up that month so that was cool Uh, February looks like a normal month back on track uh, which is always appreciated Uh, some of the same regulars so let's uh, keep on those names and uh, let people know about the show I appreciate that very much and let's see what else Um, of course uh, what we do here is uh, bringing the praise and memory of Jez Franco bringing the name and films of Jess Franco to new eyes and ears. And we definitely do the work of Mr. Franco, um, on the, his, uh, memory of him and in his passing. And uh, actually, as I record this episode, uh, yesterday was the 10 year anniversary of, uh, Lena Romay's passing. So yeah, that was, uh, of, uh, the 16th of uh, February was her 10 year anniversary. So it's cool that uh, everybody's still keeping her in thought and prayers and uh, in their mind and celebrating her and her work. So yeah, definitely a uh, patron saint, her and uncle Jess. So that's what we do here, man. You have something you like, and you dedicate it, you, uh, you know, keeps that, keeps that spirit going by that. And that's one thing I try to do is keep that spirit going every week. So, Uh, Thank you all for uh, continuing to support the Franco Observer podcast through all the different changes in incarnations. Uh, Right now, this is the single version of just me, but uh, I will try to shake up my world a little bit and reach out to other people to see if uh, they're down to do some guest reviews. seems like in this uh, COVID or post-COVID world, uh, there's a lot more barriers up with people and the um, community. We used to have is sadly gone away so yeah so that's what i'm going through on that end but uh stick around and uh i'll watch the resonance for spies and tell you what i think and that's what this is about right all right see you on the other side kids hey hey hey, hey fellow franco fans it is I, your host, Jason Rudy, coming to you for the review of uh, Residencia para Espia, Boarding School for Spies, or Residence for Spies, or the real title, uh, Golden Horn. Um, I watched this film the previous evening, and I am recording this the following morning. Um, a very cold, freezing morning here, and... Uh, Northern California as uh, microphone as I pick it up to speak into it is quite cold. So, and uh, that's a good theme because I was quite cold on this film. Um, this is, uh, let's see, the 78th film that I've reviewed. Uh, I've seen more, but this is the 78th one that I reviewed, and I would have to say, um, This is like in the top five of the most boring Franco films. I can't say it's the worst because I'm sitting here trying to think. and There's a few that are really boring. Um, But uh, yeah, this is, out of the 78 that I've seen, that I've reviewed, I'd say this is definitely the top, or the, excuse me, the bottom uh, three or four or five. Um, Maybe one day I'll do like the uh, bottom five or bottom ten and top ten. In my opinion, you know, but uh, yeah, this film Golden Horn is very, very, very boring. Um, but anyway, I'm gonna go through the synopsis and then um, tell you what I thought and all that stuff. Oof. Okay. Let's see. Let me get my glasses off here. so I can Read properly. All right. Uh, during a during a fractious U.N. meeting, it's revealed that six aircraft equipped with fuel for atomic missiles have been sent to Istanbul. This information can only be the result of a leak from U.S. intelligence in Istanbul. The CIA send their best agent, Dan Layton, to unmask the traitor. He is dispatched from New York to Lisbon to rendezvous with an agent called Radic. Radick is attacked by two assailants and asphyxiated with a poisonous drug just before Leighton arrives. But as he expires, he tells him to go and meet Colonel Spokane at the Istanbul Hilton. Spokane, an old friend of Leighton's and head of the Department of Communications, informs him that the prime suspect has now been arrested. Lieutenant Jimmy Smith, <coughs> aide of the Chief of Counter Espionage. Captain Anthony Rock Hunter. During the visit, Leighton makes the acquaintance of Janet Spokane, Freddie's seductive wife. Spokane tells Leighton that he suspects the security leak originates from the American-sponsored Halleck International Residence for Young Ladies, where Smith's girlfriend Sophia lived. Sophia has since gone missing. Spokane instructs Leighton to take a job as an assistant to Halleck's commander's Pendleton to look for clues to the identity of the traitor. Leighton first goes to question Captain Hunter but finds that he and his girlfriend Ava Locke have been murdered in their home. He then visits Jimmy Smith in prison. Smith is shocked to hear that Hunter and Locke are dead. From the prison, Leighton heads to Halleck and meets Omar the butler and the authoritarian commander, Pendleton, a stern and formidable woman in her 50s. Afterwards, he bumps into his old flame, Marion, who's also been sent undercover to Halleck posing as a teacher. Spokane shows Leighton a letter writer written to Smith by Sophia in which she tells him she's a foreign agent who has been summoned back home, but Leighton suspects the letter has been planted to implicate Smith. Leighton visits Smith in prison for a second time and shows him the letter. He says it's a forgery. Further killings take place before Leighton discovers the truth and amass Colonel Spokane as the traitor. Spokane has been selling American state secrets to Redeem his wife's enormous gambling debts. Leighton confronts the colonel, who commits suicide to avoid the shame of a conviction. Yeah, that's a very wordy synopsis. And you would think, by like how, like you know, detailed that is, and all the twists and turns, and all the stuff, that would be interesting. But yeah, no, it's uh, you know, and and I will say that I was kind of like not paying as attention to this because. After about 20 minutes, I was kind of like sidetracked going, God, this film's boring. And then so a lot of these little details you kind of skip or are lost in the uh, translation, I guess, or the uh, plotting of the film. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh mean, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, I don't always just say something's bad. I always try to say what I like about something or, or try to praise things, especially just Franco, you know. So I'd have to say this film um uh, acting wise, um, Diana Loris as, uh, Janice Buchan is the highlight of the film. Uh, this is her second Jess Franco film. She did, uh, awful Dr. Orloff. She's one of the leads in that. She's amazing. Very beautiful. Almost like a mix between, uh, and Neri and, uh, sold da Ronda kind of, and, uh, the outfit she wears in this are great. Kind of some sold out looking stuff with this like kind glittery see-through shirt with like a bra underneath and, uh, She looks very, very, very beautiful in this, has lots of wardrobe changes, uh, has a lot of near nudity where she's covered, but uh, there's no nudity in this film, but it's pretty close with her. You see her sides and and part of her body in that, and she's uh, really great in this film, and very good actress, uh, very passionate, very funny, very uh, action-oriented. She's great in this, but yeah, so this is her second Franco film, and then she does uh, Nightmares Come at Night after this and she's amazing in that, and she finally gets nude in that film, so, but, um, yeah, so, those are the three that she did for Franco, and um, I looked her up, too, she's also in, uh, like, Fangs of the Living Dead, and she's in uh, Blue Eyes of a Broken Doll, that's a um, Paul Nashie film, I believe, so, Um, or, uh, yeah, either Paul Nashie or, uh, yeah, yeah, I think think that's a Nashie film, so. Anyway, so, yeah, so she, she's really great in this film. Eddie Constantine's okay. Um, I mean, he's so, like, I mean, he he's, he's funny-ish. It's supposed to be really funny, but I don't think it's... He's not as funny as he thinks he is, but almost a Bill Murray type, you know, as, like, a secret agent. So, I mean, it's funny that he acts like he's some tough guy and he beats everybody up and that, but, uh, yeah, it's really funny. Oh, another thing, too, I wanted to point out... Um, before I go through the list and all the other stuff, uh, there's a scene where um, they splice in Howard Vernon as the agent that Eddie Constantine has to meet. And they filmed that later on, during the next film, uh, or actually two films later, because uh, Lucky's next, and then uh, Succubus, also a.k.a. Necronomicon. And uh, they filmed that scene with Vernon there. And now knowing that, when I watched the scene, you could totally tell that uh, it's cut together because Constantine's at the one place and Vernon's at the almost, I think the same location it looks like actually, but, um, but, uh, they're not in the same frame together, but it's edited together really well. And if you didn't know that, you wouldn't think that they're not at the same location because, uh, like I said, they don't appear in the same frame together, but they use, um, Constantine's. Stand it from the waist down when he's getting attacked with him in the shot and stuff, and it's done really well. It's edited well. Uh, other thing I like about this film, things that are well, is um, the locations are amazing, and this is cool. Uh, like I said earlier, I think they went to Alicante and uh, a couple other places. A lot of great exterior locations, a lot of great uh, Franco in the back seat of a cab or something driving down the streets, just filming everything around him a very good time capsule of, uh, of that area in uh, 1966, uh, Spain and Alicante and all that. It's really beautiful. The great buildings and the streets and the traffic and all the cool stands and shops and the people and just such, such beautiful area. And that's uh, one thing like I can always say about a Franco film. If it doesn't interest you or something wanes, it's just, if it's a good Franco film, it's the locations will always save save it for you for a while, you know give you something to look at. That's pretty interesting until it picks back up again or something. But, uh, yeah, this film, I don't know. It uh, It just doesn't really do it for me. Um, What I liked. Okay, so here's my notes. Of course, it's the 13th film, my favorite number, which was a shame because I had hoped to be better than this. Uh, The version I got um, is uh, from uh, uh, the Eurotrash films site and uh it's a spanish with english subtitles and it's the um spanish version so it ran like i guess 89 minutes uh and that's the uh, boarding school for spies or residencia para so. espías um but it's weird it's it's spanish with english subtitles but then there's scenes where there's american characters like in the UN and they speak in english with spanish subtitles and there's another scene, I guess, where they're, like, in Russia or somewhere, and uh, they have subtitles but not in English, and it's it's odd. So, But, yeah, it's mostly Spanish with English subtitles, the one that's uh, floating around out there on DVD-R. It's probably off of the uh, Spanish DVD or Spanish VHS release. I think DVD is looking at the quality of it. All right, uh, what's nice is... Uh, they yeah, have the tinted opening, which is odd with English dialogue. Um, there's a nice credit sequence, which I liked, uh, and the font was really cool. <laughs> it's pretty sad when you can like think like the font of a film is one of the highlights. But yeah, no, it's, it starts off really really promising. Nice title sequence shows the area. You know, great. The, the fonts are great. It sets up kind of the mood of the film and and that. Um, but uh, yeah, it was really nice. And then I had made a note that Vernon and Eddie are not in the same frame in the scene. Great blocking. Great editing on that. Uh, Janet, I have a big star by Dina Loris. she's great in this As I said before she was in Awful Dr. Orloff, this and then later Nightmares Come at Night um, I liked the uh, uh, Dead Girl in the Tub scene uh, The uh, Jail scene, it's cool that there's a Another, this is the second now film this jail sequence, jail film Because in Dr. Orloff, although We don't see a jail, we learn that Dr. Orloff was a uh, Physician in a jail in a prison colony or whatever, and uh, killed the guy, or you know, made him look like he was dead and smuggled the body out, and blah blah blah. So, they say that's actually the first proper prison Franco film. But in this f- scene, there you actually see jail scenes of him visiting, uh, um, Leighton and then in prison. So, um, I liked uh, Captain Pendleton, it has a great chair, great office, um. Uh, there's, I thought it was kind of a funny sequence when um, Eddie Constantine arrives at the boarding school where it's all women, all women out there, ladies, and uh, there's a funny scene where he's in church and he's playing the organ, and you see him um, looking at all the women in the front sitting with their knees crossed and their legs crossed, and, you, and the camera kind of glides from left to right, and you see all these great sets of legs, and he's like kind of looking as he's playing about his girlfriend, and then people catch him watching, so... It's kind of Franco just showing the legs going across. It's kind of a, a thing to come in the future. So I thought that was a nice foreshadowing for Franco. And it's something he would go into very much in a later part of his career. And just a few years later. Uh, let's see what else was cool. Um, I like Janet's see-through jewel shirt, shirt, of course, which I mentioned earlier. Um This film had lots of of close-ups. He would start on something close and then zoom really far back. And he would, like, zoom on, like, say, a building. And then as he zoomed back, he realized he's, like, down the street. And then, like, there was, like, a little canal that would separate them, and like, quite a bit of a distance. So he he did that a lot. A little bit too much because you start seeing him back to back to back of the close-up, zoom out, close-up, zoom out, close-up, zoom out. Almost like he's padding the film, you know, with these cool shots, but still. Um... I laughed at the character called Willie, that helped uh, uh, him smuggle him across the border and to find out the thing about the secret agents and all that such. Um, I liked that there was a uh, piano gaming room on the second floor of that area. I think this film, too, had lots of POV shots, like you were Eddie Constantine and walking into a room and you'd see what he sees from his POV, so you've seen that a lot in this film, which was different from Jess Franco, he didn't really do that a lot. Um, all right, well, let's hit the list because I think in this episode it's not going to be as long because, like I said, uh this film's not the strongest film in the Franco library. All right, so uh the uh, Mighty Franco List, a list I assembled in the early days starting the Franco Observer podcast with various co-hosts, including Eric and Collie and, and Greta and everybody that helped me out in the early days. And... um As I assembled this list, you start seeing things pop up again and again and again. And then as I assembled the list, I would find other writers, including Stephen Thrower, that would mention certain themes. And I noticed, hey, I had that too. So, yeah, it's definitely a thing among Franco films. And the more films you watch of just Franco and the more you start to see the commonalities and the similar traits, you start seeing things appear again and again. So this is a list that's... Actually, ever-growing, um, I used to be always just fixated on a certain thing, but then I just let more flow into it as I realized, shoot, I should have wrote that down earlier. So, All right, well, here we go. Franco List. Not Franz List, but Franco List. All right. Uh, number one, Body of Water. Yes, uh, in the opening sequence, title sequence, we see one, two, and three, which is Body of Water, Sailboat, and Boats. Uh, this film actually has a lot of boats in it. Uh, you see a lot of uh, canal shots and uh, a lot of the area of Alicante, so he definitely hits a lot of boats in this film, which is pretty good because boats to him are always like freewheeling and escapes to places far away, and this is kind of a spy adventure fantasy type you know, film that is so fantastical that boats make a perfect um, escape to dreamland, so definitely boats in this film all the way. Uh, number four, palm trees. Yeah, there's a few in the area. Uh, not Nothing overpowering. Uh, number five, jungle sound effects. Didn't really catch any major sound effects in this. That was like funny or weird with animals or tigers or lions or bears or oh anything like that. Uh, and number six, chained up person. Uh, not really. I mean, you could say the guy's in prison. He's chained up, but I don't count that. Uh, there's nobody shackled to a wall no woman in distress hanging from chains or anything like that in this film so it'd be a negative uh a 104 on that uh a number 7 dance scenes on stage stripping with a stripper musician you know what this might be one of the only franco films that i've watched that does not have that or take away the early first few but uh once he hits his groove which started before this. Um, yeah. He visits a few bars. There's uh, a tavern, of course. Same about Franco films. Bars and taverns are like in every one of his films. Uh, he visits... Eddie Constantine visits a place where there's like a bar and you see couples dancing. So there is dancing with couples and he goes upstairs to the gambling floor and sees uh, um, Janet, you know, Dinah Laurie's character. They're gambling. Um, so you see that, but you don't see any, any strippers. But you find out that Dinah character was a striptease dancer in Las Vegas. So there is the character of a striptease dancer. So that's a partial, I guess. But yeah, so, and he goes, oh, do you like the striptease? And later on she says, yeah, I was a striptease dancer in Las Vegas, blah, 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 for a few years and stuff. So yeah, definitely a stripper, striptease dancer is always a prominent fixture in the Franco um Makeup, architect, landscape, whatever. Uh, Okay, number eight, club scenes, dancing. Yeah, like I just said, yes, there is. Uh, Number nine, jazz music. Yes, very cool jazz music in this. Um, Definitely, I like the music in this quite a bit. Um, It's one positive thing, too. Number 10, excessive zooms. Yeah, like I talked about, there's uh, zoom outs on this. Some zooms zooming in, but mostly uh, zoom all the way in and then just uh, pull back. Um, zoom out all the way in this. So, yeah, a lot of excessive zooming outs in this. Number 11, out-of-focus shots. One thing I will say, no, he uh, got his tight shots in focus and then zoomed back, which is what you're supposed to do. So, um, yeah, that kept his... Uh, um, kept his. Uh, out of focus to a very nil because he wasn't zooming in he was zooming out so he was able to control his focus much better so yeah things look good on the out of focus part 12 mirror shots um there are a few but i'm gonna say no there's like one where eddie's looking in the mirror to comb his hair or there's a mirror in a room but nothing that prominently figures in an important part in the film like other things like a two-way mirror or Or the other side of the mirror or something like that where it's a a big important thing. Uh, So I'll say no on that, on this. Um, But yeah, it's just basic mirrors, but you can't really get away with that. Uh, 13, mind control theme. Um, No, uh, I'll say none on that because uh, nothing like that. It's more like espionage and hiding things and shit. Uh, 14 magic tongue scenes, uh, that'd be negative, no Lena, no magic tongue. Uh, 15 red lights, uh, didn't catch any in this film, uh, it is a color film, but yeah, no no red lights. Uh, 16 sheepskin or any masturbation with a item uh, with the letter C, uh, with the letter C, type of thing like a cigar or a cigarette or candle so that'd be a negative on both of those although i thought i saw a sheepskin rug on the floor like a little quick shot but nothing too crazy 17 mad scientists no there's some doctors that have like doctor's equipment to do x-rays and things and looking at secret messages the lady that does the uh, you know there's that one lady that does the kind of like the skin operation on janet's back where she passes her the fake uh message that's coded in the flippant stuff so i don't know a partial on that but i could see he was kind of sending that up a little bit so not really that but fake mad scientists. 18 fish tank shots negative no 19 talking parrot talking animals no uh 20 end credits yes or no yes it says Finn fin and then has music after that Number 21, handwritten note. Yes, I had made a note of that. Uh, There's a part where it says Medic Medico uh, on Willie's car. That's handwritten up in the passenger side window when uh, Eddie Constine puts on the fake cast and Willie's like the medic driving the car. Um, So, yeah, there is a handwritten sign. Uh, 22, spiral staircase shot. No, there's staircases and there's been no spiral staircase. Uh, 23 inept cops Uh, yeah and no I mean he's like a secret agent super spy type guy but all the other people uh, that are authoritative don't know what's going on or have face falsely people and uh, the colonel guy too is like double dealing so yeah I guess you know more crooked cops or crooked people than that. So Saucing, no. uh, yes and no on that. Uh, Twenty-four belly chains, no, not not yet. Twenty-five kinks. Um, yeah, I mean, there's the cuckolded wife, our cuckolded husband. There's uh, let's see what else in this. Uh, not as much really is in full display, actually. More just vices, you know. Nothing really too much crazy in this. Uh, twenty-six great headboards. I uh, didn't catch any on this. There's a great chairs that uh, maybe took the place of a headboard in this, but, yeah, nothing too crazy on this. And finding number 27, fear or desire. Uh, I would say, hmm, or does it have either in it? Well, let's see. There's, of course, desire. The women desire him. He desires the truth or fear. Oh, well, maybe it's fear because, uh, yeah, yeah, it's probably fear because the... United States where it fears that, you know, the security be at war and put the world into chaos. So yeah. So it's driven by fear. So yeah, I say this film is driven by fear, the fear of that happening and for him to fight it and to try to win. So yeah, that's what it would be fear in this film. So yeah, see, that's how it works out. You kind of talk it through and, uh, deduct the rationale. So, all right. So that's that on that. So yeah, golden horn. I don't know. Um, it'd be interesting to see uh see it under that title but yeah like i said i have the spanish uh one with um english subs um yeah daniel aureis is great to look at um like i said there's some good uh ex- good uh exterior shots great location stuff so i would say if you have to play this like put it on and like turn the volume off and do other stuff and just look at it because, yeah, there, there's some good stuff to look at. Like I said, if you're a Dinah Laurie's fan, she's amazing. Eddie Constine's okay. Uh, Howard Vernon's in it, just a short bit, and he's kind of wasted. Um, he's real weak in this. Um, the guy playing Willie's funny. Uh, there's a couple other Franco regulars in this. It's a guy with the black beard that was in um, uh, Doctor Z and in, uh, I think, Attack of the Robots. He's in this. So Yeah, it's, it's I don't know, whatever. It's not one of my favorites, but... Uh, you know, I don't know. Can't really say too much about. It. I'm just kind of stunned. I, I can't I can't recommend it, but I can't like say it's a total piece of shite either. So because there's a few decent things, you know. But uh, yeah, it's it's not it's not fun. So um, avoid it if you can. But if you're a completist, check it out. So all right, well, I think that's gonna wrap up this part. Uh, dig the show. Tell a friend. Share it. Uh, so, they can avoid <laughs> Golden Horn or at least learn about it so they know what it is. Uh, Residence for Spies, Golden Horn, all that stuff. Um, you can reach us at uh, FrancoObserver at yahoo.com. You can get a hold of us on Facebook, the Franco Observer page, or Instagram, Franco Observer Podcast. And uh, just keep the memory alive of Uncle Jess. And, uh, you know, we all of our misfires, and you can kind of see what he was going through here. This was the second film went double shot and um, I recently learned that last year filming two films back to back sometimes two are great or one's good one's okay or whatever but you figure it out or or maybe your ideas flip as time goes on so I don't know it's a learning experience but anything in life is a learning experience if you use it rightly so that way you don't waste your time and waste your energy so That's an important thing is not to waste your energy because as life goes on and we see energy is a vital resource that uh, we lose every day the closer we get to death. So, all right. Boy, there's no (music) chess.